You're listening to sermons from La Cunada Congregational Church and Pastor Kyle Sears. Join us in person every Sunday at 10 a.m. in La Cunada for worship. You can find more information about our church online at lacanadachurch.org. So the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is the final part of this trilogy of movies that at least my family has watched over and over again. And it started with these mostly unknown characters from like the really deep corners of the Marvel Comics universe and turned them into household names. Again, mostly for my family at least. Uh, The the film functions as a goodbye to some favorite characters uh, because they've really kind of completed their arcs. Their stories have been told. But it also knows that we have come to love the ones like Rocket and Groot and Drax and Nebula and, and all these other weirdos that we've met along the way and promises us that like good comics, there's always new stories to be told. And the ending of Luke's gospel functions kind of the same way. It's the beginning of a sequel story. Uh, Luke will write the Acts of the Apostles after his gospel, telling the story of how now the church moves into the world knowing that Christ is resurrected. And, and so we find the end of this story working a bit like a new beginning, saying goodbye while knowing that there are more stories to be told. This is Luke chapter 24, verse 36 through 49. While they were talking about all the stuff that had happened at the garden, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And the disciples were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. And so Jesus said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Yet for all of their joy, they were still disbelieving and wondering. And he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed from power from on high. So I love how Luke includes the reactions of the disciples here. They are terrified that they're seeing a ghost. Even though they were excited to see Jesus and they recognized that this figure before them was Jesus, they also knew that dead means dead. It's not something that happens like, well, it's 2,000 years ago. They don't know what dead means. No, they, they kind of figured it out by then. If he was here, he shouldn't be here. And, and Luke says that for all of their joy, they're still disbelieving. And man, does that describe my faith? Within my soul, I often feel inspired and hopeful about the power of love shown to us in Jesus. I'm earnest in my sense that life is good, But when I look around for proof, all I see are threats, impossible to overcome, news story after news story of destruction and violence. I I feel a lot like the person that asked Jesus to heal him and said, I want to believe, but help my unbelief because it feels so overwhelming. Even in the very presence of God, there's so much more to doubt. And so Jesus invites them close. He, he wants to calm their fears and says, look at my hands and feet, touch my wounds. Jesus, that's still a little creepy, <laughs> right? 
And so he says, well, I'll just eat with you. Because we all know that, that ghosts, when they eat, the food falls to the floor. We've seen Ghostbusters. That's what happens. Um, and so this is proof that Jesus is alive and well among them. What Jesus is offering them in all of these ways, not only his presence that they may see, but also that they may touch and that they may partake of a meal together with him is assurance that their joy that they feel small and struggling within is well-founded. It's the joy of being re reunited with their friend and their leader, and it's the joy that will then overcome their fear as Jesus' presence remains with them. In the Guardians movie, absence is really the core theme that works throughout it, that loved ones are no longer there. Early in the film, Rocket lays dying, and we learn through flashbacks how his life has been defined by loss. Gamora, at least the version of Gamora that loved Star-Lord, is no more. And because of these losses, everyone in the story has their future that is uncertain. We don't know who's going to live or die, and throughout the film, we feel that threat that we know this story is ending and it might permanently end for some. And whenever we're in those sort of circumstances, it's the presence of people that can remind us of our joy. It's food around a table. It's the touch of someone who loves us. The presence of Jesus in the life of the disciples was understood to be the very presence of God with them. And perhaps we can think back on those moments of our own joy. Joy that we experienced even as grief and loss threatened us. Those experiences that were made somehow transcendent because of those who shared in our joy with us. But often we can think back in those moments that deeply define who we are, that give us the wounds that many of us still bear, and think back who was with us in those moments, who lifted us up in faith or in prayer or in help to help us make it through whatever that time was. Jesus also wants to assure the disciples not only that their joy is well-founded, but that their hope was not misplaced. He recounts how in the scripture and the Psalms and prophets and stories that point them in the direction that suffering and death are part of the journey to resurrection. That resurrection then opens the door to forgiveness, to turning the world back around. That's what the idea of righteousness means, is, is putting the right where things have gone wrong. And that, that story is told not just to those who have been gathered in this room, but to everyone. That their life and all of the difficult parts of it can be redeemed through all that God has promised in Jesus. It's not hard to find stories of redemption in superhero stories, you know? Uh, comic books are filled with... Uh, you know, people on the brink of death who come back to life or, you know, any superhero who dies, you know, give it a couple years, they'll be back. Um, and I think that's maybe one of the reasons why superhero films have had the staying power uh, in the cinematic landscape now for like 25 years is, is that we need hope that the future might be made better. Not that it's just going to become better, but it might be made better even as we bear the scars of the past even as the memories loom over us of where things went wrong, that we feel empowered to do something about it and to make tomorrow better than what yesterday was. 
that all that makes life unfair might be worth it in the end. You see, Rocket is quick to point out that there's nothing in the galaxy like him. He's certainly no raccoon. And it's both a point of pride as you hear it in his voice, but it's also a confession of loneliness. He's all there is. There's no one who knows his own experiences, experiences that he won't even tell his best friends. You know, I think sometimes in our, in our own sense of, of maybe spiritual awakening or trying to rise above the, the fray of, of all that, that wants to bog us down, that we want to put a spiritual sheen that dismisses suffering. Oh, it's not that bad. Hope in heaven. Things will get better. That we discount the aspect of the story that hurts us so that we might just focus on the positive, you know? But I think in doing so, we become more like the villain of this story, the high evolutionary, who says that the ends justify the means. And so we can hand wave stories of grief and death as just minor setbacks on the road to perfection, that we can hate what we have to the point where we are happy to destroy any memory of it, just so that we can have what might be. And that's not really the way that God tells the story. We don't skip over the elements of our story that bring us deep shame or regret or pain or loss with just a, well, God's got a bigger plan and moving on. Instead, what we find is that, at least according to the director of, of the Guardian's films, that Rocket's story is the story of all the movies. And that by knowing him deeply as we go through these stories, what was only hinted at in the first film of the tragedy he's experienced really explains who he is and that we are richer for knowing even those scenes that we want to turn away from. The same's true with Nebula, who starts out as a villain, as well as Adam Warlock, who starts out as a villain, and Drax, who starts out as a villain, and, and all the people who are now redeemed in the relationship they have with one another. So Jesus here is not dismissing the disciples' grief, but instead he's giving it context. This grief might find a path where others are saved and you along with them. And so it's appropriate to spend this Saturday and early Sunday morning of Easter mourning the loss of Christ. Because by telling that part of the story, we inevitably tell the part of resurrection. Wrapped up in what Jesus tells them, though, is also beyond joy and hope is a calling. He says, you are witnesses to these things. And there are people here in this room and in Jerusalem and scattered in the villages beyond and into the very heart of the Roman Empire itself that desperately need to hear this story. Now I get it, witnesses to the salvation of God now called to then spread this story to others feels like an overwhelming task. A task that you may not feel worthy to adopt. It would be like saying you're a guardian of the galaxy. Where, where do you even begin with all the hurt and pain that's in the world? How do you dare to stand against it? But in Jesus' final words, that set up this sequel story that carries us into Acts, he gives the followers one final assurance. 
that our mission will be empowered by the very Spirit of God. This is what God has promised. As Jesus would teach and prepare the disciples of his coming death, he says, we'll not be left alone, but God will bring another one, just like me, the comforter, the Spirit, that no longer has to be physically present, but instead can embody the very life that you breathe. And this enlivening breath that awakened humanity at the beginning of creation will now be here when a new creation springs forth, a new life is found. That those men and women who have been crowded in this upper room for days, scared of ghosts and what bumps in the night, afraid of what tomorrow may bring, will now become the ones who are entrusted to share this message. By the end of the movie, uh, it's sort of like, well, if you thought the original Guardians of the Galaxy were, were weird, wait until you see this new crop of ones. We've got Cosmo, uh, the, the dog that the Russians sent up into space and now comes back talking and telepathic. Um, we've got Howard the Duck and Kraglin and the Ravagers and Adam Warlock and Mantis, and now an entire city that lives in the head of a dead celestial god serving as the Guardians of the Galaxy. And in that ending, even as the credits begin to roll, we sense new beginnings and new stories with new characters that are waiting to be told that we may never actually see, but we understand that there are always people who need to be saved. And there will always be people who risk their life to do just that. And this weird little band will find themselves becoming better together as they aim their life in this mission. And that's really the best description of the church I can think of. A band of weird, weirdo misfits who, for some reason, come together to see that others might come to find whatever it is that brought us together in the first place, that gives our life new meaning and dimension and allows us to endure not just the suffering that life brings, but also the joy that we find people to share it with and celebrate with, that we are part of a long-standing history of ups and downs and mistakes and repairs that is meant to save the world. And, you know, I find that, that the way this movie ends is with a song that uh, Jacob's going to sing for us that reminds us how oftentimes happiness hits us like a train we didn't see coming that we can often become so distracted and focused on the parts of our life that just aren't going right when God's Spirit shows up and surprises us, like Jesus at the door, announcing peace and happiness, and that all the hope that you had placed in it that feels lost is now here. That the dog days of lying and, and languishing and not knowing when and how and where we'll ever find hope again show up like a Sunday morning and surprise us. And so the dog days are over. And as we hear this new promise coming, our invitation is that we would get up and dance and clap and have some fun. And so I hope that we would be a people who were willing that even in the hardest of days would remain hopeful that God's presence is with us and that we are called to be witnesses to that good news. Amen. <laughs>